Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined once again for another Ready for Anything episode by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hello, everybody. This is the 10th episode in our 13-part series, Ready for Anything, on finding a better way of working through pandemics, through crises, through these moments where we're unsure. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the information space of the OS Canvas, how we share and use data, how information flows, or more likely doesn't. Um, But before we go there, let's exchange some information of our own in a check-in. Such a nerd. All right, let's (laughs) do it. Uh, We will check in like we always do. And uh, this one's information related. What is your news diet looking like these days? So right around the new year, I decided I was too too addicted to the phone. Mm. And so I deleted the New York Times app. I deleted some other, you know, newsy stuff. And I just left Twitter on. Uh-huh. And what has happened Danger. is I just use more Twitter. <laughs> so okay. it's like I, my news diet is basically the trending topics and popular topics in Twitter, which have been mostly COVID-y, mm-hmm. you know, stuff. And then I follow that out to New York Times or WAPO or Atlantic or whatever it points me to. Um, in many places, hitting paywalls along the way and kind of tripping over those. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, and then, you know, live streaming. Whenever there's something live streaming on the Twitter interface, I've been doing that as well. Uh, but it's been weird. It's been like kind of a, it's like a mono diet in the sense that I'm only in one app, but it's macro because I'm kind of going wherever it leads. It's probably not super healthy though. I'm just mm. going to say, like at a at a high level. <laughs> yeah. What's your like calorie intake on that? Like hours wise. I think. I think I probably spend at least an hour a day, maybe 90 minutes a day in kind of that news feed. Yeah. That annoys me because I feel like you know a lot more than I do, but I probably spend more time on that. (laughs) (laughs) I just read really fast. (laughs) You're doing a better job. Um, What is your news diet? I bet it's more erudite than mine. I don't know that that's true, but uh, I generally listen to – NPR for like an hour in the morning while I'm yes. faffing around. And then uh, I try not to look at much of anything throughout the day because it just makes me mad. Too and much. then usually I also uh, do a little bit of uh, Twitter stalking um, and 
and clicking through things generally. Uh, and then there's like the the random sort of CNN breaking news and things like that that happen in, in between. But yeah, for the most part, um, I'm trying to keep it really contained to those. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm trying not to like look at Twitter for 30 minutes before bedtime and then just like just hope I have great way. dreams about what's going on, yeah. you know, because like yeah. that is not – What's happening? And the joke in our house, because my husband reads news, like there is an amount of it that will somehow end. <laughs> like he reads it like it's a scarce like resource. To try to I'm get like, to the there's end. more. There's yeah. more news all the time. But, um, you know, I'll come out of my office after a few hours and be like, so, you know, is anything good happened? And he's like, no, you are free to go back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not great out here. It's funny. Two things you mentioned were were reminding me. So one, I definitely do have a podcast news diet as well that I wasn't even mm, thinking of as part sure. of it. So I'm listening to 538. I'm listening to Today Explained. I'm listening to, you know, the daily. I'm definitely like plugging into that stuff. Not every day, but like on rotation. And the funny thing that I was going to point out is I have started to have dreams with podcast hosts where like I'm just and and nothing interesting, folks, like literally just conversations. So I'll like be listening to a podcast with a couple of guests. And then I was listening to one last night that had um, kind of a buddy of mine in it. And I finished it and went to sleep. And I in my dream, I had like a 30 minute phone call with my buddy That's about so interesting stuff funny. that never happened for him. That's really. And so I'm going to probably ping him today and be like, by the way, we had a great combo last night and you were definitely not there for it. That is awesome. Oh, I also forgot that I'm reading Morning Brew every morning. I really like Morning Brew. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's meant for people like me with short (laughs) attention spans who like humor. Okay, let's stop talking about this. Let's talk about the information square of the canvas, uh, also known as a field of the canvas. Or a dimension, so, or we couldn't figure out what to call it. It's just a, I, I like the box. Uh, so when we talk about information, do we mean like everything that is data? Is there any constraint we want to put around this as we dive into the topic? Well, I had, yeah, I had this problem writing the book, which is like, what word do you use? And when you get into the space around data and information, everybody is so precise and mm-hmm. so kind of picky about how you refer to things. So I just decided... I'm going to use the most common word that people understand, and then I'm going to bury under it a disclaimer that basically says, like, I mean data and, you know, insights and inference and communication and, like, all the stuff. So, Mm -hmm. like, when information flows from my brain to to my mouth and from my mouth to your ears, when we write something down, when we have a set of data that's put in front of us, when you look at a chart, like, literally when bits of, of data are moving around, I consider that all part of this space mm-hmm. and it's, and it's a, you know, it's a sloppy definition, but to me, what's fun about information as a space is that messiness and that those sort of gray areas where we don't think about what is the nature of the thing I just consumed? Is it, you know, was it knowledge? Was it data? Was it an insight? What like, we just are like, this is relevant. This is interesting. I'm acting on this or I'm changing my behavior based on this or so I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want to labor too long on the definition in that way. So I kind of skirted it. All right. Yeah, I love that. I also just, I respect information as a field and I'm glad that you didn't go to communication because I think mm. that it has so many implications and one in particular is about act- activity or action yeah. implied in communication. Yeah. And like, there are a lot of ways to think about information that are important that don't have to do with action. 
Yeah. And in, and in many cases, that's the feature and the bug, right? Like yeah. it could be that information is sitting somewhere, we're not using it. So that's not communication, but we need mm-hmm. to use it. And the opposite's true. We're like, maybe we're dumping a bunch of stuff on people's desks that they don't need to see. Nobody cares. And so again, like, let's <laughs> dial that back. So yeah, I totally agree. It's much yeah. better to, you know, have information and then decide whether you want to put a verb into place. Yeah. So I think that uh, information is playing a very interesting role right now in our lives and in the organizations that we all work in. And so we should just dive in there. Uh, One of the things that I'm noticing that is different than before is that there does seem to be more essential communication happening. It's like what I see is that teams are really sharing more and being less sort of persnickety about who needs to know what and whether they'll do it publicly and Mm. on and on and on. And I don't, I don't exactly know why that is. I don't know if it's because the water cooler's missing. I don't know if it's because we're trying to like homeschool kids. And so it's just like, I don't have time to be crafty. (laughs) I just have to ask the question and get the answer. But I'm noticing that in this pandemic and in remote work, there's transparency around information that I have not seen before that isn't even being asked for or specified. It's just happening. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's interesting. I would agree too. And I think it's a two way street. On the one hand, I think there is just in the ether, a pull and a desire for information Mm -hmm. that we're all just like so hungry for like, what is going on What's going on? Yeah. That, that you can just like feel that that's the tenor of, of the group. And so I bet people are responding to that subconsciously or consciously. Um, another part, which, which you hit on is this idea that we're just taxed and overwhelmed. And so we're just kind of like, what, what can we let go? And I actually think information manipulation is really tiring. Like it actually it is. is really, it's a high cognitive load kind of a task. Um, and so that, uh, that rings very true to me. Yeah. And I, I've had more than one discussion recently, one with a CEO who I coached for years um, that has been kind of like existential. It's like it's like <laughs> in this moment where we all do these sort of like nonsense wisdom worker jobs, he was just like, what is what is the point of any of this like, in the grand <laughs> scheme of things? Like point? what even are these jobs that we all do? And I've had that conversation more than once. And so I think to your point about the tax in this moment where we are like, more aware of, you know, whether our species can survive something that's happening both socially and physically and economically, we like have a little bit less appetite for the palace intrigue. And we're a little bit more like, you know what, I'm just going to CC him on the email. Just like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really feel worth it. Like, I don't need to hold that particular power. I have like other things to worry about right now. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the positive things coming out of this right now is it is, it is dropping a lot of those barriers and those, and those kind of screens where like, yeah, if I just came off a zoom call where like your kid was screaming bloody murder on your lap and my other colleague was eating a really messy burrito. And like, I'm just not thinking about like information security the same way, you know, like we're just all in this like very familial open door vibe. And and I think that in some ways that's really uh, good. It's really transformative. Yeah. And you even see it like in practices, which are, you know, meeting practices, but where we're sharing information. But I even see it in small ways where um, I'm noticing like 
less formality around communication, mm-hmm. more sort of colloquialism, more yes. um, more just like space and leisure around things like check-in rounds where it's less mm-hmm. of people sort mm-hmm. of like grudgingly doing it because Going Rodney the said they had to. And now they're just more like, man, I'm having a really hard day because <laughs> like, you know? And so I think all of that is of a piece, which is just yeah. uh, sort of the declassification and deformalization or informalization, yeah. I should say, of of information and data and opinions that yeah. we might have played a little bit closer to the vest before all of this happened. It does sort of speak to the fact that like, maybe there's still a soul out there for business. Maybe. Um, you know, you see, like, I haven't seen jargon, like really bad jargon in a minute. It's been like, a Even when you read the letters from like airline CEOs and stuff like that, it is straight talk. Yeah. Like there is not, nobody's talking about synergizing anything. Right. It's just like, yeah, there's all no good, vertical you know, it, integration. We're just like, yeah. we are trying to survive here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think again, like, I think that is, it's cool to know we have that gear still yes. in the gearbox. Yes. And then it's like, cool, can we stay in that gear, but with a different tenor when we come out to the other side? Yeah. And like the, the idea that that kind of corporate speak and jargon was once labeled professional. And hopefully what we're getting to is part where like, you know, what's professional still having a job and a company. Like right, that's a prof- right. that's professional when you uh you know when your company survives this pandemic. So let's worry right. less about using words that nobody knows actually what they mean. And it's and maybe it's actually more professional to to build an environment where people can be authentic. Yes. Maybe that's what a real pro does. Maybe. You know. God I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> the Inshallah. other thing the, yeah. the the other thing I've been noodling on is is happening both in uh, like the news and governmental side, but also within companies as well, which is just this question and this craving and this debate and this manipulation around what is true. Mm. And I think, you know, on the company side or the organizational side, I think there's a lot of craving for just like, what do we act on? Like Mm -hmm. what information, what scenario, what, you know, like what inputs really count right now and how do we make sense of those and then decide what to do. And then in the broader cultural context, it's more like, whose information do we look at? What statistics are true? What's the market going to do? What like, you know, everything is, is pretty loose. And then you add to that, this patina of different, you know, people, backgrounds, political parties, etc, kind of playing with the the nature of the truth and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how they can influence or even manipulate people and their attention. And it just makes for a really weird soup. Like I just have noticed yes. like that is, you know, it is a wild time for truth. That totally lands with me. People do seem to have less appetite for the spin than we had <laughs> a month ago. Yeah, what's weird to me though is they the people that didn't have appetite for it before definitely don't have appetite for it now, but that doesn't mean that we're not still seeing it happen. Sure. You know, like like it's it's so wild to just watch uh and I and I can't I can't decide yet whether this is going to break around political lines or it's going to break around lines of like where the pandemic hit hardest or around economic lines, but there's still a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of people kind of playing the game of like, this isn't my fault, this is their fault. And I just, you know, I think that's wild. And I'm sure the same thing is going to happen as businesses fail, mm-hmm. um, you know, around the story and the narrative of like what happened and 
it was the pandemic or it was the administration or it was this co-CEO or like whatever. So I, yeah, I don't know. I'm in a very epistemological mood. I can tell. I can tell. And like (laughs) what I worry about, you know, particularly when you talk about the interplay of the economy and the political machine is, is a lack of complexity consciousness wherein there's just a one lever blame. And it's like, what is happening? What is going to happen in our global markets is not only because of the pandemic. Like we, a lot of cracks in our social mm-hmm. and economic systems are being highlighted by this, but it, this, exactly. this pandemic didn't create those cracks. We love a single explanation. We do. We're so lazy. Yeah. We're yeah. so lazy. Yeah. As more teams are working in new ways, some remotely, some on shifts, some through furloughs, some, you know, in flexible capacities. I'm seeing a lot of new tooling rolling out um, that, you know, is not stuff that was accepted or historically relied on in a lot of organizations. Uh, How do you see those playing into the whole conversation about info? I think what you're observing is happening and not just in one place, but almost in every tool. Uh, We have, you know, a tool that we invested in that we're excited about called Parabol. I've talked to their CEO, Jordan, who was on the show that you've all, you know, met and heard. Um, And they have just absolutely exploded in use. I know Zoom went from 10 million to 200 million users in Mm -hmm. 90 days. Um, so, I mean, just think about that for a second, right? Like a 20 X growth rate from 10 million users. Yeah. Um, It's just bonkers. So I think there's a ton of exposure out there. What I don't know that has gone on is a lot of thinking through about what it means in terms of information flow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think, uh, Stuart Butterfield has been quoted talking about the growth in Slack being very similar as, as, you know, the other platforms. So there's just like a bunch of people being thrust into these environments that, have a different native assumption about transparency and about information flow than whatever we were using before, if we were using anything at all. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that, um, that the play out of that is going to be something that maybe catches people by surprise because we're going to get addicted to the speed and the transparency and the connection and the, um, categorization of communication and all those other things that happens in those spaces. And then, you know, when we get back to whatever semblance of normal, we get back to, I don't think people are going to want to part with that very easily. No, I don't think so either. And I have a weird supposition about this that I just made up, which is yeah. <laughs> when we're all co-located and we're like up in each other's business all day and having to like breathe the same air in a conference room, there is something that kind of feels good about like taking things to like a private chat or a DM mm-hmm, or to even mm-hmm. an email. Cause it's like, mm, I still have control and like a counterbalance privacy, yeah. you know, it's like your own little closet away from your siblings. But now that we're all lonely in our homes, we're just like, nah, <laughs> let's just throw it in the channel, you know? Right, and I feel right. like it's, it, I don't, I, I don't know that there's any psychological reality to that, but I do have a feeling that, you know, I'm working with teams right now that were dying on their sword about not using channels. And right. then in the last three weeks with no prompting from me after months of being like, please put it in the channel, please attach them, please where it's <laughs> public, transparent, blah. They're just like, okay, everything's in the channel now. And like, <laughs> I don't, 
I just, there's something happening mindset wise in that. That's like, now we are looking for connection and community and like the well to go to where we all hang out and get water and we don't have that anymore. So we're like, well, I guess I'll just put it in Slack rather than like making everything be private. It's so interesting. I think your supposition is, is right on the money because we, you know, we, we know that almost everything in, in org design is polarities. And (laughs) I've never thought about the fact that, you know, our native, uh, workplace environment has a bunch of assumptions built into it about privacy and about togetherness and about open and closed and things that you just think of as innately human, like Mm -hmm. being together in a workplace, they may not always be true. And Mm -hmm. and yeah, as soon as you take one thing away, it pushes another, which of course makes me think about the change work that we do Mm. and thinking about like, what else could we take away? (laughs) How could we start or add that would, well, that would just like cause the, you know, cause the thing to like shift in another direction, right? Right. Like if you took the computer away, what would happen? If you took the workplace away, what would happen? If you like different things are going to lead to these different reactions as we calibrate. Yes. And and I think that's just, I don't know, it's a lesson maybe for anybody working in change to just remember that like, there are these weird balancing forces yes. at play. Yes. And that, um, that does lead to a point that I wanted to make in this episode, because I get this question all the time, which is <laughs> when we are trying to use a new tool for good reason, like transparency or community or searchability or defaulting to open or whatever the reason is that we're doing it. I can't tell you how many times I've answered the question, like, how do you get people to do that? And so Mm. one truth that we've just come up with is starve them of human connection, but there are other ways (laughs) (laughs) to do it uh, that don't require a pandemic. And one of them to the, to the point that you just made that I often repeat is don't enable them. So like if we say, if we consent to a proposed working agreement that we're going to share our information in Slack, for example, and you have one person who refuses to party and she keeps putting things in emails and sending them to that group of people, then have the conversation about her email in Slack. And if you're the person putting the things in Slack and she's like, can you email this to me? Don't do it. Because sometimes it's really easy to just shift behavior by not enabling people to stay in old patterns. We just have to be a little bit courageous in first asking for consent and then asking for adherence to the working agreement we consented to. And then even in a power dynamic, not doing the thing that contravenes that agreement, even when people ask us to. Yeah. And it's it's a very natural human instinct to want to accommodate and to want to be, you know, helpful. And so I think it plays into that. And and yeah, I, you're totally right. You have to just stay strong. And if you did the proper consent process to get an agreement in place, then it's not like you're doing anything to anybody, really. You're just you're helping not. them follow through on their commitment, right? Yes. And and that, you know, I, 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 I crave that in my own life. Like when I make a commitment, I wish more people would help me keep it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we all need our accountability buddies. And it... Doing that, so that's one tactic. There are others for getting people to behave into new information sharing practices. But a couple of things to remember. One is when we're trying to shift behavior in these ways, and right now we have the environment on our side, but we don't always, it's really easy to mortgage the long term for the short term. So like 
what we're trying to get at is a long-term wealth of information that is searchable and findable and consumable and threaded and participatory. And like that is really valid. And it's really easy to mortgage that in the short term because somebody asked you to do something for them and you want to be nice. So like just keep in mind that you are doing that. You are paying for the short term with the long term. And two is keep in mind the principles under what you're trying to do information wise. So we have a lot of conversations at the ready and with our clients about these underlying principles like pull over push and like open over closed. And and sometimes it can be really easy to just revert to ways of doing things and be like, I'm just going to make this private or I'm going to make it comment only or I'm going to make it just mm-hmm. for these people or whatever. But really try to think about from an information perspective, what are you trying to create? Like, are you trying to create secrecy? Are you trying to create knowledge as power? Are you trying to create silos reinforced by information or are you trying to create something else? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, how to structure information in this moment where, mm-hmm. you know, obviously information architecture and finding stuff and searching for yeah. stuff is already hard enough as it is. But now when you have, you know, no benefit of being able to necessarily reach people when you need to reach them or track them down or use people as a lever to get to information, how do you think about setup and about hygiene and about like, making sure the right things are in the right place. Mm -hmm. So I'm in no way an expert on this, full disclosure. I'm not an information (laughs) architect, but I do have a few practices that I would encourage people who are also not information architects to apply. Which is most of us. Which is most of us. So there's two really basic things, and then there's a bigger play. One really basic thing is whatever platform you're using to chat in, whether it's Microsoft Teams or WebEx Teams or Slack or something like that, use threading. It's really helpful because (laughs) if you get smart about your channel architecture um, and, and having minimum viable channels, but then within those channels, keeping sort of headers and then flowing information and conversation threaded, it makes looking back and seeing a narrative of that channel a lot easier. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. it's disorienting when you jump into a channel and it's like paragraph explanation from the leader, 77 threaded comments, and then like two tabbed out back to the same level as the leader. And then the conversation unfolds there. It's just, <laughs> and then it's one also other just like conversation annoying. happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, right. And then you, and then people start threading on that and then it's hard to follow the plot. So I always like design, um, those kinds of conversations as if like a thousand people were having them, even if it's mm-hmm, only five, mm-hmm. cause I think that's really good practice. Um, yeah. that's one easy tip. Second easy tip, uh, use emojis. So we talked about this with Mike from Slack, but one thing that I think is underused, especially by people who are newer to using those kinds of tools, is like rather than saying, what does everyone think about this? And then letting 50 people in a channel respond to it, just say like, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down this on this comment. And it right. it really, those things catch on like wildfire and they seem small, but they yeah. actually make a really big difference in terms of the convenient. hygiene and the searchability of that channel afterward. Because yeah. you're not like yeah. trying to wade through like, well, what did Aaron say? It's like, I can just hover over the emoji and know like, did Aaron vote yes or no on this? Right. Um, and then the other thing that I would love for you to riff on that we've been talking a lot about in the last week is like, where is your 
place that everything <laughs> else like links out and spiders out from. So, you know, whether you're talking about like the golden source or the single source of truth or the wiki or like whatever, you know, we, I am not a fan of having everything information wise about an OS consolidated onto one platform, but I am a fan of having one place to go that then I can like follow the breadcrumbs from. Yeah. So, um, you maybe talk about that and how people should do that, especially people who don't have it at all. Cause they're, yeah. that's most, that's most people. It's most of us. Yeah. The way I think about it is that, uh, there are actually two places that you need to have that, that are, you know, sources of truth and that they have to work together perfectly. And one of the big mistakes right off the bat is just conflating the two and not understanding like which one is which. So one of the things I think you need to have is is a place for conversation, mm-hmm. right? And that could be chat, that could be Basecamp, that could be email, that could be whatever. They all have their pros and cons. We have our favorites. You probably know what they are if you've been listening. Um, but like, it's a place where the point of the interactions is dialogue. It is, you know, sharing information. It is creating shared consciousness. That's that piece. But the second place, and I think perhaps the one you're talking about, is the single source of truth for stuff for mm-hmm. assets, for knowledge, for, you know, the things that are documented, the things that are created and made. Yes. And so, you know, that is, that's the other side of, uh, of things. And I think, you know, if you can get away with it, having everything from operations to knowledge, to, you know, work in progress to initiatives in a single place, a single environment is a great advantage. And then you have to figure out, well, how does that environment let you create a way to navigate that, mm-hmm. whether that's through search or whether that's through some kind of a, you know, table of contents or a central document or what have you. So if you tell me, hey, it's, you know, it's Google Drive, like it's G Suite all the way, fine. So then everything lives there. And then you have to figure out, is it just through the search bar? Is it through a folder architecture? Like, what's the way that I then make sense of all the stuff that's there? And then when I talk about it in Slack or in, you know, Yammer or in Teams or whatever, I can be always linking back out to that asset source. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that, you know, we use and are excited about right now is Notion. And the reason is Notion does a really good job of both being a capture place for that stuff, ranging from like cards and tickets to documents, to tables, to whatever. But it's also really good at that front end part of like, how do I navigate all the crap beyond a search bar? Mm-hmm. Because I believe strongly that there was a, a kind of a, an opinion born in Google 10 years ago, maybe longer, which was like, if search is good enough, you don't need architecture. Mm. And I, what I find is that that's only true when the amount of stuff you're searching for and the nomenclature and the language by which you're searching for it is simple enough that everybody knows it. And I got to be honest. I routinely, routinely go into Slack looking for like the experiment template that you and Allie use. Yeah. And I don't remember, am I searching experiment? Am I searching worksheet? Am I searching template? Am I search what version am I? Like, I don't know what to search for to get it. So it's much, much better to have a simple table in Notion that's like, this is all of our, you know, assets around experimentation. And then no matter what I type, I end up there (laughs) and then I can find the thing I need. So yeah, so I think you need a single source of truth for the things we make and the knowledge we hold and the operations, you know, sort of theater. And then you need a single source of communication and then everything else is window dressing. Right. Well, and in the example that you use, which is a good one, you have that trouble and you know that that experiment template exists. 
I've used it. I've searched big, for it before right. and found it. When you get into larger <laughs> systems, like or even even in our own small system, Where like I don't, you know don't know what half the stuff is that people have made, so I wouldn't even know to search for it. Right. And exactly. if I did, then you know I better know the exact way that like Will <laughs> would title it, which is yeah. you know, very unlikely. It's insane. It's insane. And so you know, like using Notion as an example, one of the things that I like about Notion is like. There are a whole bunch of agree working agreements that we have that have been governed that like I don't know off the top of my head what all the agreements right. are. So I can just go and be like, what are our current working agreements? And this becomes very important the more work you do at different scales in an organization. Mm -hmm. And like what I'm finding right now is I've been doing a lot of work with a bunch of different teams and they have gotten quite skilled at documenting their own OSs and like at at keeping charters living and at updating decision rights and at doing, you know, revisions and iterations of role clarity as they work toward real self-management. But mm -hmm. now it's like, how does how do the blobs come together in the blob tag? Yes. So that like yes. there's a team of teams layer of that. And then there's like a departmental level of that. And then there's a functional level. Because right now all of those little pieces of information are transparent quote unquote, yes. in that they're searchable, but they, it's very, very difficult to make any sense of what is actually out there and certainly almost impossible to reuse it or draw connection points between it. Yeah. And riffing back to the episode where we talked about push versus pull, you can't have a pull environment where it's impossible to find anything. Mm hmm Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's great that it's there in theory and that we're like honoring the principle, but at a practical level, I can't find anything. So like I can't pull. And if yes. I can't pull, then I can't play that game. And that means I need to start playing a different game. And then, uh, you know, the wheels come off the bus. So I think picking what that is, and then it doesn't mean you can't use other tools. It doesn't mean you can't also be in Git or also in code or also in PowerPoint or, or whatever else you want. You can, you just have to link out to that. Mm -hmm. So you would just put, you know, you put that piece of data or that asset or that download or that link in the spot where it goes in, mm -hmm. in the single source. Mm -hmm. And then everybody wins. So yes. it's like, have your cake, eat it too, but just do a little bit of hygiene. And most of what you need regularly in any given function or discipline, you can like list in, you know, a table of a hundred things. Like mm -hmm. it's not that insane. It's right. insane at an org scale, but we ver I very rarely need like the, some obscure thing that the finance department uses. I need yes. the thing that I use. Yes, exactly. The only other thing I want to say about the creation of, the living, breathing documentation in your system is that it is very difficult to create the um, like blueprint first. This is a place where emergent work is really useful. So I have made the move in multiple projects in my life of being like, let's document the OS. And everybody's like, shut up, leave us alone. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's going to be really cool. You're going to love it. And they're like, we don't, please stop talking. So the thing is we document and figure out the, all of the things that we've just talked about in terms of information hierarchy and tooling and things like that as we produce information that needs to be shared. And mm -hmm. as we have better understanding of what kinds of connections need to be made. And the ready is a really good example of this because we've tried like three or four different things to do sure. this the right way. And I would say some of the ways in which it didn't work as well early on was because we like started with the tool and then tried to fill it in rather than starting with the stuff and then seeing what tool could support it. 
So I just wanted to say that for the people who are like, I'm going to go investigate Notion and figure out how to get my colleagues <laughs> to populate it. Like, don't do that. Start gathering the information and then see where that takes you. And the other thing, and I've thought about this so many times since a recent interview that we did that has not yet been uh, put on air, but you all will hear it soon, is <laughs> how important in remote work writing things down is and how political not writing things down is. And I see a lot of leaders be quite avoidant by not writing things down because they can like shift and hedge and not be sort of pinned. And the flip of that is like, there's also a lot of power of the pen. Like when you are the person who makes the proposal and who writes down the agreement and who codifies the agreement, there's a lot of power in that. So this is just another mindset shift that I would throw out there. If you're someone who's been a little bit slippery about committing your thoughts to paper, now in a more ephemeral world, there's a power shift there, which is if you're the person who's willing to write the thing that is the new kind of power in a remote environment. And and hey, I'll go one further and say it's not even that new. Like the people that wrote the constitution, yeah, they mad power in that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like that leaving juice. that loosey goosey was not gonna be the call. Yeah. So I do I love that. Yeah. Doing doing the part to recognize that that I love that. Recognizing that when you're the interpreter, when you're the documenter, there's, you know, there is some power and privilege in that. And then stepping into that is a bueno idea. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit into more of like the the informal or the non-technical and into more of like the feels side of communication for a second and information and just talk about um, how much is too much right now. Because it's one of the things I'm thinking a lot about as a founder, as a leader, as a team member is, you know, when we think about honoring the principle of transparency and we think about doing this right, how much communicating, how frequently, how much depth, like when, when are you doing too much and how do you sense into that? Um, And then by the same token within teams, separate of that kind of corporate information about like growth and, you know, revenue and layoffs and all that um, just interpersonally, like how much transparency and vulnerability is too much of that? Like when, when have I had too much of your, you know, your truth, Mm-hmm. And it becomes overwhelming. And I just was curious if you're seeing those boundaries be pushed in either direction and how you would think about that. I'm like, are you giving me feedback right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> totally kidding. So I have a I have a colleague, an imaginary colleague, <laughs> who is just really oversharing. Um, so, okay. In terms of leadership and broadcasting or pushing information right now, we talked about this in another RFA episode, but I do think that leaders need to be more visible right now and to be sharing what they know and what they're anticipating because people have a lot of questions. But I also think like in any other kind of participatory environment, the most powerful leaders that I see in terms of communication right now are holding space for people to ask the real questions that are on their mind. And mm-hmm. then they're doing their best to answer those questions. So rather than guessing. Rather than guessing or talking about the things that they want to talk about or that they want to influence or like finding the opportunity and using the platform to like put their thumb on the scale. Like I think the real pros in this moment are opening up the 
the space and the platform and saying like, okay, come at me. What do you guys need to hear from me right now Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is important for you? Takes a little bit more vulnerability, certainly takes a little bit more like self-awareness and self-assuredness to do that. But I ultimately think that uh, some push around data and context that you as the leader have access to that your employees may not is helpful um, is helpful sort of table setting, but the varsity move is listening and responding. Right. So I should stop slacking the bank balance every 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like the, a former client was telling me that like the CEO just will not stop pushing the stock price. And it's like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. everyone has access to that information. <laughs> you don't have to remind them every four minutes that the stock hey guys, price is in no stock. Hey guys, look at this. <laughs> hey guys, look it. at this. <laughs> yeah. Why is productivity down? <laughs> Why are you guys so distracted? Go back to work. Didn't you know our stock price is tanking? Right. So you should know. I just texted it. So uh, yeah, I think that's um, that's important and maybe somewhat counterintuitive to some folks. And then on the like processing side, I I'm of I'm of a, all of the minds on this. I'm like quite <laughs> fr- fraction fractional here. I would say. Like anything else, I think it's reasonable to ask for consent. So I think if you are in a situation where you want to process and need people who you work with to be that like place for you, you should ask them if they're willing to do that work for you because Mm -hmm. they might not have the space right now to like hear about how crazy your husband is making you now that you're like sharing an office at home. And, um, And I don't think it's reasonable as coworkers to just expect that everyone has the capacity to deal with the trauma that you're going through because everyone is processing their own kind of trauma. So I think making requests and then respecting if people cannot fulfill those requests is a valid move. That's just what I was looking for. Cause I keep running into situations where I'm like, should I let this keep going as a facilitator? Like, am I going to let this run on and how long and what, you know, where to draw lines and what are we here for really? And it seems like because we all have our own truth and our own stories right now, like it's, it's an almost impossible call to make without yeah. help. And yeah. so it's like, why don't we just ask like, Hey, is this working for you? Is this okay? <laughs> the, the flip side of that is I think it's okay for us to be a bit more spacious right now. And Mm -hmm. for those of us who have the reserves of energy and empathy to notice the people around us who need it. And so I have been paying closer attention than I normally would to like both at the ready and, uh, and at client organizations and among my friends, like who seems like they're, you know, creeping towards burnout and who looks really smoked and who is repeating themselves often, which is usually Mm. a signal to me that somebody is really stressed out and who's like not remembering things that normally would. And, and I'm trying to like, because I'm not in an acute state at this moment and, you know, feel very privileged to be in the situation that I'm in. I feel like right now I have some empathy and energy to extend. Mm-hmm. And so I'm paying more attention to that and doing so in ways that I might not in other situations. Well, on that uh, very empathetic note, I think uh, we can draw things to a close on this topic for now. Um, Rodney, always a pleasure. That was great. I really enjoyed it. 
So y'all are leaving us reviews and we really love them. Not only (laughs) is it really helpful, but it's also really heartwarming because sometimes uh, doing this podcast is like just talking to each other and maybe to the void. And it's really, really nice when we see you write something lovely about our theme music or me giving Aaron a hard time or, you know, whatever you notice about the show. (laughs) So uh, if you're willing, please do that for us. We really appreciate it. What you did not mention last time is that the review that you called out by name said that you and I are in a battle of wits and I'm losing. That is not what the review said. More or less. It was like, (laughs) we're kind of in a competition and I'm not, I'm a little bit behind. We all have our own strengths. I thought that was really funny. I loved it. I, nonetheless, any review is a good review and I'm so, I'm so happy to have them. Um, Quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin, who has his work cut out for him on this episode. There was a lot of stops and starts uh, for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready. There are so many people at The Ready right now doing work. We have um, some new members coming in. We have work happening in different cities around the world. uh, And um, we get to help folks change the way they work. It's actually, it's quite an exciting and uh, amazing thing to get to do. Um, You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. 